it is November. And that means that at Renaissance Church, we are getting ready for happy holidays. You see how happy they are up there on that screen? <laughs> Soon it will be time for traveling over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. Some of you will go. Your phone knows the way to guide the Honda through the annoying and maddening traffic. You will arrive and the house will be decorated. The table will be set and the food will be simmering in the kitchen. Can you smell it yet? Your cousin will be there and your aunt and your uncle. Your sister and her spouse, ugh, they'll be there as well. <laughs> it's going to be a time where you catch up. You sit around the table and you talk about what happened last year. Your grandmother's going to ask you if you finished your homework. Your siblings will be there. You'll reminisce, you'll laugh, you'll enjoy yourselves, but then, of course, you are hoping that mom doesn't bring up that one thing that she always brings up, aren't you? And like last year, you'll have to manage the tension which comes with your sister's difficult husband. Who says those things at dinner time? And if he's here with you now, please do not groan or say amen. There is that one cousin who's always inconsiderate, and you're dreading seeing her. And you've still not worked through that one thing with your brother, that disagreement that you've tried to bury, but you know you're going to feel it when you see him across the table. And then there's that annoying way your sister always makes every conversation about her. Happy holidays. Ugh. Right? Do you see that father and that son? Anyone feel like that around Thanksgiving? No or yes? You can admit it if you do. Because the truth about family time is that it can be the best. Do some of you know that? There's nothing better than it. But at the same time, it can also be the worst. It can build you up like nothing else can, and it can tear you to pieces like nothing else can. It can be pure joy, and it can be pure and total misery. And the difference between how it turns out can come down to one single solitary thing. The words which are spoken when you are together. Sticks and stones can break my bones. You know this? It's the worst children's rhyme that's ever been invented because words can and do hurt us. Do you know that? In, in the years behind me, uh, uh, in which I've been a pastor, which is almost 24 years now, I have been with people at their highest and at their lowest, and in the center of both times is always family. I can tell you that the difference between being lifted or pushed down by the people who God has put in your life, whether they're blood relatives or extended family or the people who are like family to you, it is simply true that the words we say to one another have enough power to change everything. And whether calculated and intentionally chosen or said in the heat of the moment, words make all the difference. Do some of you know this? I would guess that most of us here chronically underestimate the power that come with what we say. And the reason, the only reason I know more about this than you is because as a pastor for thousands of hours, I've listened to men and women, young and old, unfold on the one hand the deep grief and abiding suffering that came because she said that thing to me when I was young. Or on the other hand, I've seen the power 
and the confidence and the joy and the courage that comes because he told me this was true about me because she built me up with her words like that. This is the truth about the words that we speak and will speak in the seven weeks that are ahead of us. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is offer you God's wisdom for your family time in the season that's ahead of us. We've been dwelling on happy holidays because we're convinced that what God actually wants for us is to have a Thanksgiving and a Christmas and these weeks before and after to have this time be a time that builds us up and gives us joy. A time when we build one another up with our words and thrive. A time when we get to wear our favorite sweaters. <laughs> a time when we're, we're open. Please listen now. A time when we are open to the wisdom which we need and which God gives. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Last week, we listened to the wisdom that God had for those of us who would be tempted to wear ourselves out with busyness. And if your heart and your mind were open to that, God himself is inviting you to take steps away from chronic busyness into the kind of peace and rest that he means for you to have. This morning, the wisdom that we'll focus on is just about words. And the truth about the book of Proverbs, and this is the book where God promises to give us the wisdom that we need and that we can't uh, grasp ourselves, but which he gives freely. The, the, the threads in Proverbs which are woven around the power and the potential in your words are profound. And so this morning, we're going to learn very simply from the teacher there who's going to give us practical guidance which will bring life to us if we follow it. Uh, have you suffered because of things that were said at family gatherings? Yes or no? You don't have to say it out loud. Maybe you can show me like this. Or, or have you benefited from good things that were said? Yes? Are, are, you, are you alive? Okay, good, you're alive. All right. God wants our time with our family uh, to build us up, and he wants us to use our words in a way that will do that, and the truth about our words is that they hold immense promise. And I want to begin this morning with one passage from Proverbs, and then we're going to jump around in the book because it's loaded with wisdom for us that will guide us practically in these weeks ahead, okay? So I want to start with a simple and profound statement about the potential in your words. Look with me at Proverbs 18, verse 21. Here's what the teacher says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. Immense power resides in your words for good or for ill. And whether you see it immediately or not, there will always be an outcome that follows what you say. That is a promise. And the teacher here puts it with this phrase, those who love it will eat of its fruit. To love the tongue is to speak often, to open your mouth and say what you think, to add your opinion, to offer your two cents, to share your perspective, verbalizing what you're thinking and feeling when you're sitting around the table after dinner has been eaten. It's getting yourself involved in the conversation. Now, think about Thanksgiving dinner. Think about it now and yourself there at the table or, or Christmas afternoon. If you are going to be talking to family members at all, this is the promise for you. Those who love it, those who speak, will eat of its fruit. You know this saying that you will eat your words? 
And we mostly use that in a negative way. It has its roots in this wisdom. And here, it's not only negative. It is a simple statement that promises that what you say will have a measurable impact out there and for you in the same way that the food you eat has a measurable impact on you. Whatever your favorite fruit is, imagine taking a bite of it, and when you chew it and swallow it, it gives you a sense of energy, and it's delightful to you, and that is what it is like when you choose words wisely and use good words that build up. That's what this promise says. On the other hand, imagine you bite into that mealy apple, and there is a worm, and it's now pressing through. I'm sorry I did that to you, but you get the point. Rotten fruit. You eat that, and it will have an impact on you as well, which you can feel. And here this teacher is saying that's, that's how it goes with your words. That you yourself, when you speak good words, will experience something positive. For you and the people around you, it will be true, just as it will be negative for the people, uh, depending on whether you speak ill and ugly and cruel words. How bad will it be, and how good will it be? Look again at the first half of that statement. And this is serious. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, the power to destroy and, and rob someone of life, it's right there on your lips. Uh, just as the power to build up and to bring joy and grace and peace is also right there on your mouth. And now you must know this, please, that when you're together this season with your family, with your extended family, and with your friends, that you yourself are responsible for how you speak. Because, let's start with this first fact, because you have the power to kill and destroy right there on your mouth. You might be thinking of another person in your family who always says mean things. Would you please put them aside for a moment? We'll come back to them in a little bit. Now I want you to think of yourself, and I want you to understand that the wisdom in the book of Proverbs tells us how powerful, in a deadly sense, your words can be. These are metaphors that are right there in the book of Proverbs. These are not mine. I did not make these up. Proverbs tells us that your words can be like a snare that snaps shut, trapping their victim like a hopeless animal. Your words can be like a scorching fire that burns and consumes the object toward which they are directed. Has anyone in here ever been burned by what someone said? They can be a rod for the back, like a violent instrument of brutal and inhumane punishment. They can be like a war club that bashes and destroys, a sword thrusting and piercing and mortally wounding, a sharp arrow that injures irreparably, leading to certain death, a whirlpool in the ocean that swirls and drags its victim under into the depths, words which you are able to speak. Forget that other person. The words which you are going to be tempted to say at Thanksgiving and Christmas have the power of death in them. And here I am becoming emphatic because I don't want any more death. I was told in the first service that I banged this too much. So imagine, I'm, I'm not banging it. I'm imagining I'm banging it. With your speech, and some of you will know this, with your speech, you can wrap a child in shame, stifling her growth and her potential and her confidence forever. Your words can discourage a sibling from giving it another try, evaporating her hope. Your words can bring grief upon the head and the heart of your mom and your dad. 
Your words can undermine the confidence of the grandchildren who look up to you. Your words can throw your family members into the dark of fear and regret and anguish. Death is in the power of your tongue. And that is why the wisdom of God is directed at shaping your use of words. God is the God of life. God is the God who loves. God is the God who looks at every man and woman and wants them to be lifted And God knows that our words can do the opposite. And that's why Proverbs has these threads about the importance of watching what we say. And I know that someone in here has had the experience of having the words come out of their mouth and as they're coming out, know they're the wrong thing to say. And then you look at yourself and you say, I shouldn't have said that. Anybody else ever done that? Right? And then while you're doing it, you say, but I couldn't help myself. Right? No? I do that. It's not true. You can't help yourself. And that's why this teacher here in Proverbs teaches us that we're responsible for exercising restraint when we speak. This is the first bit of wisdom for you. And I want you to take this with you into Thanksgiving and Christmas. It is that you are going to exercise restraint. By the way, someone knows the book of James in here and they say that the tongue is a restless evil that no one can master. And I know that Bible text too, but I also know that in Proverbs, over and over again, this wise teacher believes that every man and every woman, every young person even, can read these words and apply her mind to wisdom and can grow. And I believe that about you. And so what I want to offer you first this morning is guidance on how to exercise restraint because of the deadly potential in your words, okay? And so I'm going to give you three very practical threads which run all throughout Proverbs that will help you exercise restraint to know how to do it when you're together with those folks that you'll see over these next seven weeks, okay? You good? Here's the first one. This is the first very practical bit of guidance from Proverbs about how to exercise restraint. When you are there at the table, here's what you're going to do. Don't say anything. That's number one. (laughs) And honestly, this is not meant to be funny. It's not. Uh, If you would read through the book of Proverbs, you'd see that over and over again, that this wise teacher counsels men and women to shut their mouths, to just be quiet. Uh, Here's one of a handful of places where it comes very directly. Uh, Proverbs 13, 3 reads this. Those who guard their mouths, preserve their lives. Those who open wide their lips come to ruin. You know it, right? You know from your own recollection of those moments where you added your opinion, you said what you were thinking, you interjected and it only made it worse, right? It was like you entered into a path that led into ruin and here the teacher says, of course that's how it goes. That's what happens when you don't guard your lips. On the other hand, those who have wisdom, they guard their lips. Imagine a little tiny man and he stands there right in front of your mouth and it's his job to keep your lips closed unless there's something that's good that's going to come out and and all you need to do is wait And be patient and slow to speak instead of just interjecting the moment any thought occurs to your mind. And what here this wisdom tells you to do is let him do his job. Let him keep those lips closed when it's time for you to be silent. You know what it's like when there you are around the table and that subject comes up because that person brought that subject up last year and it only appeared they wanted to have a conversation. They wanted a fight, right? It's politics maybe at your Thanksgiving table. Yeah? 
They bring up that person or that party or whatever, and it appears that it's a conversation they want, but they want a verbal battle, a fist fight, and you know you're going to get slugged right in the face and then in the guts if you interject. So what you should do is don't say anything. Just look at them and... <laughs> I'm serious. You have power when you do that. And listen, the power you're using when you do that is the power to keep more death from spreading around your table. Maybe in your case, it's not politics. Maybe it's an old family wound which your aunt loves to drag up when everybody's together. So you look bad in front of your siblings. And, and you know it's just an invitation not to heal and repair a family struggle, but rather to dig it up so everyone can feel bad again because that person there has a heart which is twisted and takes pleasure. And by the way, each one of us have in our own hearts the temptation to, to have hearts which are twisted and so then emerge out of us words which bring death. And again, for, for her and for you, the wisdom is don't say anything. Whatever it is, a barb that's thrown by your aunt because she knows that you love talking about this subject and she just wants to goad you to make you look bad. Often it's religion that uh, is, is the subject matter that one family member will use to knock you down. As it is, whatever the moment is when that happens for you at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you're going to remember this, this time here together with God's wisdom and you're going to say, exercise restraint. Don't say anything. And that's the first bit of good wisdom that will help you this holiday. It's good, right? Yeah, now someone here is thinking, and you should. But someone needs to say something to my brother. I can't let him keep getting away with that nonsense every time we're together. And, and by the way, uh, maybe your brother does speak nonsense, and it's not true, and it should receive a retort. It should. It needs that, right? It has to receive some kind of uh, response. But here's a second bit of wisdom, right? Because saying the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Do you know that? And so here's the second bit of wisdom. Don't say it now. Right? Wait. Because now might not be the right moment. When everybody's there looking or when everybody else who's involved in that subject is waiting to see how you'll go. When the enemies have marshaled their weapons against you and you alone. Maybe that's not the time to speak up. If we would turn to Proverbs 27, 14. Listen to the way this wisdom is put here about timing. Whoever blesses a neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now, picture you're in a village a long time ago where everybody can hear each other. A blessing your neighbor is the right thing to do. Don't we have enough in our world of people talking bad about others? Don't we? And that's, all that does is, is cause the pain and the misery to go deeper. But you know what it's like when someone talks well about another person around you. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? That's the right thing to bless your neighbor. To do it with a loud voice means you're doing it in a way that everybody in the neighborhood can hear it so that the benevolence spreads. By the way, just as gossiping negatively about someone spreads negativity, you can actually gossip about a person who's not there by saying all the good things about them, and that will spread positivity. And that's the right way to do it, to do it with a loud voice. But if you do it early in the morning, did anyone else have a mom who woke them up early in the morning for high school with a loud voice, time to get up, rise and shine. <laughs> My mom's not here at this service, so I can say that. <laughs> if, you say, if you do the right thing and you say the right thing in the right way, but at the wrong time, it says here it will be counted as cursing. 
And that's the wisdom of, of timing, that a blessing turns into a curse if it's not well-timed. And that's why you must exercise restraint by not saying it now. Maybe you do need to respond to their ignorant views of politics or religion or whatever it is, but what you need to do is wait and do it another time. Wait till the meal's done. Take them aside so you don't humiliate them or make them look bad or you don't make yourself the victim of a, of a mob, but take them aside later and say what needs to be said then. If these two uh, very simple bits of guidance were followed, I promise the level of death at holiday conversations would go way down. It would. Now, maybe someone in here is thinking of that one other person in your life. And by the way, I know that many of you have people in your lives who are impossibly difficult. And this I know also because of my time as a pastor. And you're thinking, I could never say it to that person. They're too difficult. They need to hear the truth, but I've tried and it doesn't work. Well, here's the third bit of wisdom about exercising restraint. Don't say it to them. I'm going to tell you this morning that it is okay for you to put walls around certain people that are in your life that you're close to when it comes to certain conversations and certain subjects. You cannot ever maybe now talk to them. It may be that uh, it will take years before they're open to what needs to be said to them, but what you need to understand now this morning is that the restraint that God invites you to take is in relation to some people, you never have to say it. Look at verse, uh, at Proverbs 23, verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool who will only despise the wisdom of your words. This may seem judgmental and harsh, but some of you have people in your lives who are plain and simple fools. And trying to talk to them about that, trying to make any progress with your words in that area, absolutely impossible. And here the scriptures tell you it is okay to acknowledge that and accept the limitations that come because of their foolishness. Now before you start feeling too high and mighty, someone else might say the same about you. And I want us to be open to that. It's true. Some of us are too closed in certain areas to make any progress with our words, and therefore it is okay for the people around us, and therefore it is okay for us to say in certain relationships, I'll never talk about it. Can I give you that as a freedom this morning? That you are free, God himself invites you to be free, not to talk about it with that person. They are too foolish. It will only cause trouble. Imagine now you take these. Let's see all three of these together. Imagine you take them from this Sunday morning, November 11th, and you go forward with these in the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving and then on into Christmas. What might it look like? I promise, because the promise here comes from the Scriptures, that to take this wisdom and act accordingly will bring you life. It will be good for you. And in particular here, it will mean less death because of your words. Let's be very practical, okay? Some, some of you in here, uh, you've lived through a divorce, and when Thanksgiving comes and when Christmas comes, you have to start planning for how you're going to shuffle the kids to his house or her house. And you're going to be there dropping the kids off, and he is going to say some impossibly ignorant thing you cannot believe he could ever say something like that. Okay, are we there? Some of you personally, others of you have friends or family members who are in that place, Okay. You're going to apply this wisdom. When he says that, you're not going to say anything. You're going to have something good to say that's true, but you're not going to say it. Okay, the kids are right there. And so you're going to exercise restraint. You're not going to say it. Maybe after the kids go into the other room, now you're thinking, all right, I don't have to say it then, but I can say it later. 
And, and now it's time, and maybe when it's just the two of you, you can say it, but maybe you know that if it was possible for her to hear it from you, you would be together still. And so you decide to say it never. You just don't say it to them. Can you see how this would help in situations like that? Can anyone see that? Yeah, good. How about you're, you're not the parent who's divorced, but your parents are divorced? Uh, there are kids here who have to be shuffled, or there are adults here whose parents are still fighting even though they've been divorced for 15 years. Again, apply this to your time with them. I know this uh, from talking with close friends. The holidays for them have become fractured because now they have to manage their parents' conflicts and whose house they're going to go to first or how are they going to interact when they come together at the Christmas concert at Renaissance Church. Can dad sit there and mom sit all the way up here? Do some of you know this experience? So what you're going to do first is when dad starts disparaging mom to you again, you're not going to say anything. Don't say anything. Uh, you're going to think, I need to, I need to tell my dad that it's time for him to start being a grown-up. Uh, and so you're going to say it later, not now. You're going to wait until the time's better. Or if he's really immature because he's a fool, you're never going to be able to say it. Now, I've said an awful lot about the foolish people around you. Are we still friends? Okay. Um, what I said earlier about each one of us being the fool in one way or another is a statement that comes from the kind of humility that I have for one reason, and this is critical for you to hear this morning. It is that none of us makes ourselves right before God based on our own behavior or performance, even with our words. And that if you take this wisdom and then you forget it in a half an hour and you're outside saying the wrong thing, I want you to understand that the God who gathers us together here and who teaches us that our words have the power of death and therefore urges us to exercise restraint will love us even as we say the wrong thing yet again because that's who he is. His grace is for us and it is free. It is given because he's decided to love us in Christ and there is literally nothing we can do to undo that love for us but that should never be an excuse or a pass for working as hard as we can at the wisdom he gives us. And the wisdom this morning is to exercise restraint so that our words spread no more death. Are you with me? Okay. So much for the negative work that our words are capable of. I want to remind you that this wisdom taught not only that death is in the power of the tongue, but life is also in the power of your tongue. I wonder how many of you can look back and say the reason that I'm as strong as I am is because of the way my grandfather talked to me when I was little. I wonder if there's anyone in here who can say, the reason I believe in myself, even when everyone around me tells, to give up, tells me to give up, is because of the way my mom encouraged me every morning. I wonder if there are some in here who can say, I've always thought it can be done and that God is good and believes in me even when I give up because of the way my uncle always told me the truth from the scriptures. Can anyone in here recall the power of life in the words of someone near them? Can you? What I want you all to understand without any question is that God has made it so that every one of you also has the power of life within your tongue. You have the power, every one of you here, to bring life to someone by what you choose to say in these days that are before us. When you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner, not only can you spew death, but you can, by God's design, use your mouth to lift someone, to bring life, to give heart, hope, hope and courage 
to build someone up, to bring joy. And that is the simple truth about the way that God has designed you, that your words have the power to bring life. Look with me at Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Fitly spoken. It means a word that's spoken at just the right time, in just the right way, in just the right place, a word in circumstances that uniquely suited. It could not have been better timed. The substance of it was just what was needed at that moment. It hit the mark that needed to be hit. It was a word that was just the right thing to say at that time. Has anyone's ears ever heard a word like that? It was like this uh, proverb says, it was like a setting of silver, which is the time and place in which the word is spoken. And the word was like an apple of gold. That's the word itself. Picture a fine filigree silver bowl with lattice work that is unparalleled in its artistry through which your eyes can catch a glimpse of a brilliant golden apple. Good words are like the finest and most thoughtfully and carefully crafted pieces of art. Placed perfectly, like the work of a master craftsman, an artisan. They are costly, rare, beautiful, precious, inspiring, and they are more valuable than you can measure, and they bring life. And I want you to accept this as if God, as if from God himself, you have the power to speak words that transform and bring life, like a well-timed joke that takes the tension out of the room and fills it with laughter. Haven't you ever benefited from something like that around the table? Or an hospitable word assuring an outsider that she has a place here and is accepted. Or an upbuilding word of encouragement after a significant failure which restores hope and lifts the spirit so it can keep going. Or a kind and genuine word of comfort after loss which mends your broken heart. Or a word of perspective that instills confidence so you are ready to keep going. You can keep going. Or a word of wisdom that illuminates and clarifies the path that God himself is setting before you which you and your family haven't found yet. It's opaque, but now it's clear to take the next step forward because God said so. Your words have the power to bring life. And in this season, in the next seven weeks, if you would take care and speak in a way that affects this power of goodness to bring delight and healing and joy, to lift anxiety and offer sweetness to the soul, to restore and bless others with your words, what you would see is happy holidays. Not in a trite, uh, elusive, tinsely sort of way but in the way of profound joy and goodness that God made for you and for everyone around you. Listen, you put that other person out of your mind and and look at yourself now around that table and you trust God that you have been given the power to bring life with the way you speak. And what God is ready for you to do is to give some golden apples to the people around you. And that will be good fruit for them and it will be good fruit for you. Would you think of the, of the person that God now is putting into your mind? Uh, maybe it's your daughter and you, you've been waiting too long to say it or your son. Or it's mom or dad. A cousin, uh, you've been estranged from them or an uncle. Uh, and it's time to say what you need to say uh, to, to give life. You can do that. Now I know this. Uh, that some of you have a person in your mind. I asked you to put that person aside earlier, and I want you to take them back now, who's so difficult. And you can't even fathom a good word coming out of your mouth toward them. Okay, don't say anything. 
to them. But here I'm going to challenge you, and I am going to challenge you, and I'm going to give you a tough one because I care about you. I'm going to challenge you to this truth. When you look at that person around your table, when your eyes fall upon them, please listen. This is not easy to say, but the truth about them is that Jesus loves them and died for them. It's the truest thing about them. It's more true than their ugly, hate-filled life that God loves them. And so what I'm going to ask you to do when you see them, when you think of them, there at Thanksgiving, when you are following God's wisdom and you are shutting up instead of saying anything out loud to them, I want to challenge you to pray to God himself for them. And this is what I want you to say in relationship to them. God, forgive them because they know not what they do. And if you will pray like that, then you will be speaking words that are words like golden apples in a setting of silver. Those are Jesus' words. And what I want you to know is that that is how Jesus prayed for every person around your table and you as well. You can ask the Father to forgive them. And then you know what? You can go on for the rest of your life and never say another word to them. You have God's permission to leave that. Speak words that bring life. And you will see the life that God has put in you spreading. And that's my gift, that's my challenge from wisdom to you for this season. Uh, let's ask God, let's ask God now to, to plant these words, these words of wisdom deep in our heart. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for the chance to gather together around your wisdom this morning. We thank you for the way it addresses us just where we find ourselves. We thank you that uh, it has the power to reach deep into our hearts and to give us just what we need to thrive. We ask now that we would have wisdom enough to exercise restraint over our words, that we would be quiet when we need to, that we would wait, and that we would even uh, put up high walls around uh, certain subjects with certain people. And then we ask, uh, lastly, that you would help each one of us see the way to use our words uh, in such a manner that they bring life. And that's what we want. We want our words to bring life to the people uh, that are around us. We love you and we thank you for this time to be together in Christ. Uh, continue to build us up now. We pray in Jesus' name.